Hi, welcome back to the show. Welcome to Body Truth. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. We have Amelia Ruby on the show today, and this is a person who I am constantly becoming more and more obsessed with. I discovered Amelia a few months back and Shayla, who is our podcast manager, our community manager, she actually put me in contact with Amelia because she had discovered her. And so Shayla and I are kind of just having a love fest over Amelia and all of her amazingness. And we couldn't wait to get her on and hear her story. And it was such a beautiful conversation. Amelia is such a prolific and brilliant and sincere storyteller. And she's just really cool. I think you're going to love her. She's doing some really amazing things in the world, some really radical things. We talk a lot about her personal body image story, but we also get into her journey into leaving social media, which is essentially one of her main themes that she discusses in her business. She has many different aspects of the business that she's created for herself at this point in her life. But this was something that I was very interested in exploring in this community. As you know, I've kind of had an on again, off again, dissonant, exploratory relationship with social media myself. And I was really interested in hearing Amelia's and how she really made some powerful decisions for herself and how she chose to essentially leave social media. We also talk about some of the parallels around diet culture and social media and just our relationships with our bodies and these technology devices and how they are similar in a lot of ways and how we can really take care of ourselves to just make sure we are showing up for ourselves in the best way possible in both senses. But before we dive into the conversation, let me just give you a brief overview of Amelia. She is a PhD. She's also a writer, speaker, and founder of the feminist podcast studio, Softer Sounds. Her first book, 50 Feminist Mantras, was published by Andrew McKeel in fall 2020. Now she hosts Off the Grid podcast and helps babes get their voices off social media and on onto podcast airways everywhere. And I love her podcast. I highly recommend checking it out. And one of the reasons why I love it so much is because she puts out such brilliant content that really is so thoughtfully curated and actionable, but she's just got a very soothing voice, which you will discover in this conversation as well, too. We talk about her personal body image story from navigating fashion to romantic partnerships and her relationship with herself. We also discuss how Amelia decided to break up with diet culture and the steps to reclaim her own body liberation, navigating second wave shame of wanting to change your body after leaving diet culture, which was something that I was very 
glad we were able to bring to the table in this conversation because this is something we haven't actually talked about on the show before, but is a very real phase for so many of us who are on the journey to making peace and rebuilding trust with our bodies and leaving diet culture and all of these things. Just the uh, the reality of living in diet culture still, even though we want to escape it and the shame that comes up around that sometimes with the pressures of still wanting to change our body sometimes. So that was one of my favorite parts that she brought to the conversation. We also talk about how to use selfies to create a more positive relationship with your body and heal dysmorphia. As I said before, the parallels between social media, diet culture, and Amelia's decision to leave Instagram as a business owner, and also her best practices for evaluating your relationship with social media and how to maintain a thriving business. So good. I'm so glad you're here with us today. I hope you enjoy this conversation. We will be sure to link everything in the show notes, all the ways that you can connect with Amelia, all of the things that I just mentioned that she has put out in her business, and what we have going on in our community. If you haven't grabbed your free body acceptance starter kit, that will be in the show notes as well too. And I hope that you have a great week and that you feel seen and heard and right here with us in this conversation today. Love you. Bye. Amelia Ruby. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I can't wait to have this conversation. Have been geeking out about it all week. I love your work. (laughs) I can't wait to hear your story. Let's just do the damn thing. So the first question that we ask everybody on the show is your first body awareness moment. So when you think about that, what does that moment look like for you? That moment where you realized I'm in a body, apparently this means something in the world that I'm living in. And also, how did that moment impact your relationship with food, your body, yourself moving forward? Just share your story however you feel called to. Yeah, I love that you start with this question. It's so raw in a really beautiful way. Um, So I am going to take us to a place that many millennials have been, which is um, the mall circa, I don't know, like 2005. <laughs> so my first body awareness moment happened, I think in an American Eagle. And I have this really distinct memory. I couldn't tell you exactly how old I was, but I'd guess like middle school sometime. And I have a really clear memory of trying to buy clothes and realizing that I was at only fitting into the largest size that they had at American Eagle. And I remember kind of offhand saying that to my mom who was with me and her having a sort of like exasperated, um, well, you better fix that because there's nowhere else to buy clothes. And in that moment, it just became really clear to me that my job was to fit my body into the world and the world's expectations and that I needed to, I felt like I was being told I, I needed to 
quote unquote, fix myself because my body was too big. It was wrong. It was bad. And the measurement of that badness was these, you know, arbitrary clothing sizes. And that was rough. (laughs) I don't know a better way to say it. I feel like this is not a story that's unique to me. I've heard other people tell this story. Um, but I, when I think back, like if I close my eyes and remember, I can like see the table of American Eagle jeans in front of me. I can like feel the cheap fabric. I can, to this day, anytime I see someone wearing American Eagle jeans, I can always recognize the stitching on the back pockets. And it like makes me cringe. Um, I know Amy. (laughs) (laughs) It's very vivid. I'm always like, Oh, I can't do this. (laughs) Um, totally. But yeah, I mean, it really like my first, that I think is the most specific memory, but just with it comes a flood of other body awareness memories in the mall, like in that era, like American Eagle, Abercrombie and Fitch, Aeropostale, like I can smell the heavy cologne. I can hear the OC soundtrack overhead. Oh like, my God. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. It's all there. It's so, it's so vivid. And I internalized, um, just so many negative things about myself in those spaces and those moments. Were you in, in middle school or high school? What part of your adolescence was this? This would have been in middle school, probably around like sixth and seventh grade. Mm, It's interesting. My, my first body awareness moment that we're kind of speaking about just in terms of this question is also around retail in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, God, there's just something so um, emotional about that just with clothes in general. And also as it relates to sizing and Mm -hmm. our bodies and the emotion of our bodies, especially as women. I'm curious having that reaction from your mom. And I think it, you know, we are, we're all living in diet culture. I'm sure your mom Mm -hmm. probably had her own experience with just Mm -hmm. existing in diet culture and her reaction and wanting to protect you perhaps in some way. But how did you how did you internalize that? Just, I can, I can almost see it in my own mind, that panic of, oh my God, like, I don't know what to do. Like if you don't put these clothes. So what did you do and how did that impact you? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I did, I followed the examples that I saw around me. So what I did was diet and I got like a book on weight loss for teens And I did all these at-home exercises because I was too young to join a gym at that point in time. Um, And I started again and quote unquote, fixing my body. I like took it, I internalized that it was my job to deal with this because my size was a problem and I needed to fix that problem. So the summer between, I believe it was seventh and eighth grade, I went to work like went to work out. I like exercised all the time and I dieted with pretty like calorie counting and various methods and lost weight. And then I thought I had fixed it. So what actually happened? 
what actually happened is I started myself on a decade and a half long journey of self-loathing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It was, it was, it was just the beginning of, um, yeah, the next trying to think of how, how old I was then probably the next 10, 15 years of just seeing my body as a problem that needed to be fixed. And that really involved a lot of, a lot of self internalized negative talk, a lot of self-loathing, um, and a lot of also just thinking that dieting was a solution to any problem that came up in my life and that I could just fix hard things by losing weight, which was a really, really bad cycle to put myself in. Yeah. It, it is so damaging physically, mentally, and emotionally. And, you know, the, the shame and the secrecy that comes up in the diet cycle, I think is something that is the toughest that we don't necessarily talk about Mm -hmm. a lot when we're going through it, if at all. So what was that like for you in, in terms of just who you were disclosing this to or how your relationships looked while you were in this period of your life and kind of balancing your relationship with yourself and how you were showing up with other people around you? Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting, I, I definitely was on these internalized narratives of shame on them. I definitely had these feelings. It was like shame that was motivating me. But, but I, when I think about like, you know, whether it was a secret or not, like, actually I was very like applauded by my family, by my friends for losing weight and for fixing my body. Um, you know, they wouldn't have said it that way. They would have told me they were applauding me for quote unquote being healthy. Um, And really like, that's what I did. I just kept exercising. I stayed on diets really long-term. Um, and I just kind of made it my goal to keep my body in check. And then I hit high school and all of that intersected with, you know, a new desire to date and attraction to, and from other people And then the message that like my body was something that needed to be fixed, you know, got really entangled with all of the messaging we have around the types of bodies that are desired by others. So then it was like, well, if I'm ever going to be attractive to anyone else, I have to be even thinner than I am. And so that all got further entangled in my, um, internal dialogue. And all of a sudden, you know, dating was about, controlling my body as well. Mm. Yeah. Control being the underlying theme of Mm -hmm. so like so much of this. And I think that it's really interesting you sharing that entanglement. I think that's, that's true for so many of us. And in your own body image journey, when did you hit that point where you realized that enough was enough, something had it to something had to shift. Yeah. It wasn't for like many, many years later. Um, 
I actually celebrate the day. It's September 20th is my diet culture breakup anniversary. Wow. I, like I have a date that's on my calendar. Um, and I think it was September 20th. It's either 2018 or 2019. I'm not going to remember off the top of my head, but basically we can fast forward, like from those high school years, fast forward a decade and I get to my late twenties and you know, that cycle, that like entanglement between believing my body was a problem I had to fix, believing the only way to be attractive was to be thin had just turned into this cycle of me, um, kind of getting in relationships, those relationships ending me kind of crash dieting and losing a lot of weight then me getting in the next relationship, me gaining weight, those relationships ending, it had really just turned into this really, really destructive cycle. And come September 20th of 2018 ish, I was, um, living with my parents for a summer and getting ready to travel to, um, go on this major road trip to record my road trip podcast at the time that was called 50 feminist States. I was coming off of this like gorgeous period of my life where I had crowdfunded all of this money. These people had paid for me to do all this travel to interview feminist activists and artists around the U S I had this amazing road trip planned. Um, I was going to travel with my partner. I was in this like wonderful supportive relationship, but I, was staying at my parents' house. And all I could think about was that I needed to be, I needed to lose weight before I did any of these things. And I was exercising a lot and I ended up injuring myself. And I just remember that day, September 20th, I woke up and I was in pain and I just had the, I had a moment where I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, Amelia, you can keep doing this. You can keep living this cycle and you are going to hurt yourself and it's going to be the end of things, or you can stop. I just, I was like, you can just stop. And that's what I did. I decided I like sat in that question of what I was going to do, decided I was going to stop. I went outside into my parents' driveway and took a bunch of selfies <laughs> of like my body on that day. I like very distinctly remember like putting my phone up on top of the car and like posing in front of the garage. I have no idea why I picked that location, but I did. <laughs> um, and I took all those pictures and then I wrote, uh, like in my journal for a long time. And I pulled a piece of what I had written and put it up on Instagram and like committed to this being the end of that journey. And it was, I, I like, haven't, I broke up with diet culture that day and I, I haven't looked back since. Did you even have the language at that time to call it diet culture or did you become familiar with that after this moment? I did because I had just around that time, I was also reading Virgie Tovar's you have the right to remain fat. Best and book. So good. Truly. We'll in the show notes. Yes. So. Extraordinary book. And, you know, part of what had happened in the few years leading up to that is I'd really had this sort of like 
experience of feminist consciousness raising, I had learned a lot about myself. I had read a lot of feminist texts by all these amazing people. And that had kind of led me into this critique of diet culture, which I had like further unpacked. And I think what really happened that day is everything that I had been reading and exploring and hearing just like integrated into my body. And so I just like, it went from being like these intellectual sort of things I knew to being something I felt to be true. Yeah. And that allowed me to like really release the grip that diet culture had on me. I so appreciate you sharing this, Amelia, because I think this is so important in anyone's journey of their relationship with their bodies and, and their selves. And I went through this as well too, but there's a reason why people diet beyond just wanting to manipulate your body into being a certain size, but there's an entire culture around it. That's why we call it diet Mm -hmm. culture. And that community is so strong and that, that touches on such a primal level. And so Mm -hmm. when we don't have the awareness of feeling safe in a community outside of that, I mean, the water is so thick. We, most of us, when we're swimming in diet culture, don't really know that anything else exists. And it's just what we've been passed down generation after generation. And it's what we're taught. And it's really just ingrained in us on such a um, cellular, cellular level, especially as women. But in your expression of your story, this is really powerful to actually begin to understand there is a different community that I can engage in that is going to foster a more loving relationship with myself or my personal expression, however, however you want to describe it for us. But I think that's so important because for many of us, there is that fear of like, well, yeah, if I give this up, like I'm, I'm hurting my body or I hate myself in some way, or I just don't feel Mm -hmm. great. Or my anxiety is through the roof around food and how I feel in my skin, but what's the alternative if we don't really Mm -hmm. have a clear understanding of a supportive community outside of that, there's no reason to make a change. So the fact that you set that up for yourself, I think is, is really, it's so valuable. And I think that's really important that you're sharing that with us today. So I appreciate it. Yeah. I think everything you just said kind of reminded me of two different pieces of the journey. And for me, I think, and I think this is happening culturally as well. Like we're seeing critiques of diet culture become more and more mainstream. You know, even the fact that when I say the word diet culture now, you know, everybody knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Whereas like, even when that, when I was in, you know, 2018, when I broke up with diet culture, a lot of people didn't know that phrase, like didn't know the concept. Mm -hmm. Um, but as we see that shift, which I think is so important, what I'm, what I'm hearing from more and more of my community is this new thing that's happened or not, maybe it's not new, but this experience, many of us are having that I have had, which is now I know I'm not supposed to believe in diet culture or want to manipulate and change my body. Uh, but I feel like I want to anyway. So now there's just this extra layer of shame of like, shit, I'm not supposed to feel that, but I still feel that messaging inside of me. What do I do with it? Totally. Um, like before the shame was for me, the shame was like, oh, my body's bad. I have to fix it. 
And then the shame shifted into like, oh, I'm not supposed to believe my body's bad. I have to fix that. I believe that just layered on top of the original shame. And I think that that's a really challenging place to be. But for me, it was really like a growth edge. It was Mm. this space where I started to see through the cracks, but it took time for like that, again, that like intellectual knowledge to become like for me to really feel it in my body. It took so much, um, and I wish I like had a step-by-step of how I did it. Cause I know that would be so helpful. And it was, but I, for me, it ended up happening in this kind of really hard way of, you know, injuring myself and having to feel that and that kind of like breaking me open. And I don't want everyone to have to have that journey, but I think it's such a real part of the experience at this stage. And then you know, once you get past that growth edge, once you like really do are like ready to let go speaking to what you just said, Caitlin, like, well, what comes next? Like I had to totally relearn how to feed myself, how to relate to my body, how to, it felt almost like being a small child again, because all I knew, all of my narratives around food and around movement came from diet culture. And I had to start over. Mm. Yes, I can so relate. And I I think that most people can who have similar experiences in really letting go of diet culture and coming back to that intuitive relationship with with ourselves. Um, it, It is a relearning process. It's an unlearning and it's a relearning. And I think that one thing that you just said that I think is really valuable is, yeah, I totally agree. I don't, I don't think that every single person has to have this rock bottom moment where it's like a physical injury or something incredibly debilitating, just like making it glaringly obvious that you have to make a shift. Yeah. That's going to be real for some people, but for you, it sounds like you were already starting to become interested in that language. I mean, even just by reading Virgie Tovar's book before having this moment and starting to just get curious about what other, what are other opinions out there and other communities and where does this stem from? And just that curiosity alone, I think can be enough of an entry point for so many people into just beginning to rebuild that relationship with, uh, with yourself. And I am so glad that you brought up the shame piece around wanting to still change your body, even knowing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast. And honestly, this is something that I'm navigating, um, for myself right now. And I'm curious to hear mm-hmm. how, how you navigate it, but as women who, you know, we're all living in an anti-aging culture, there are, there are so many things that I find myself questioning around. Why do I like, why do I wish this was different? Why do I feel like I want to enhance this mm-hmm. or change this in some way, whether it's coloring my hair or, uh, you know, picking up a certain face cream or considering getting any type of like, you know, like Botox or, or anything like that. First of all, disclaimer, I think that whatever choice you make for yourself is your individual choice. And I, I don't think that there's any room for shaming anybody's choice in doing any of those things. I think it's really personal, but it is like, it does bring up this new level, especially in the feminist 
movement of, okay, well, <laughs> that should, which is like, so uh, we just need to get, you know, get rid of it altogether. But like what I should be doing or shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. um, and the shame that's attached to that. So how have you navigated just this kind of new wave of shame around getting past this second chapter and, and diet culture and whatnot, what are some tools that you really lean into? Yeah. I mean, it's hard. (laughs) Like you just said that, but I just want to say it again. Like, you know, I am years into my breakup with diet culture. I am years into my journey of so much awareness of body positivity and fat feminism and the successes and failures of both of those movements. You know, I know it intellectually, I know it in my body and it's still hard. Like I still have these feelings come up and I think it's, you know, because it just helps me recognize that diet culture is so insidious, especially because we learn it at these super like formative moments of our life, right? Like we're talking about middle school, the years when we just began to become who we are as people. So before I offer tools, I mean, I'll just share, you know, even a recent challenge I've had of, um, these negative thought patterns. I was just going through something in my relationship with my partner and we were kind of having, we're struggling with something. And my first thought like that came out of nowhere to me was like, Oh, I should lose some weight. That'll make this better. And I was like, what? the hell, Amelia, like where where did it just, it, it's so deep. And so I say that to say, like, I don't have solutions, Mm -hmm. but what I can say is when that thought emerged, I was very quickly able to be like, wow, that's a problematic thought. And I know where that comes from. And I'm going to let that go immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see it and I could recognize it and I could release it very quickly, like almost instantaneously. Well, it's so interesting in hearing your story because yeah, I think we all have experiences like that where we want that quick solution and mm-hmm. how rooted in control that is. And also mm-hmm. from what you just shared about how formative these experiences are for you, but really for all of us too, but my mind immediately goes to, well, of course, it's because you learned at that moment in American Eagle, when things felt out of control, when you literally were being told, like, you have to fix this, otherwise you don't get to wear clothes, which talk about a primal need, right? Like you have to wear clothes to function in society. And actually knowing in that moment, I can fix this. I can just manipulate my body to find the solution for solving this problem. I think like, I don't know if that does that feel true for you at all? Just that kind of assessment? Oh yeah. That feels so true. It's like, I learned in that moment that, and it was compounded in what I learned about attraction and relationships that like, anytime something is wrong with my body or with my relationship, I should lose weight. Like that's what I internalized. And as much as I've done to like release that, I was surprised that it still came up. It still came through. And so I think the best tools I've found for releasing the shame on any level is just to be honest with myself and kind of go through what I just mentioned, like to be in tune with myself enough that I recognize the thoughts that are coming up. Because I think in the past, I would have just started exercising and not even realized that 
I was having this thought, <laughs> like I would have immediately just like gone into the behaviors instead of pausing to be like, what's coming up. That's motivating me to do this right now. Mm. I would have just gone straight to the gym. Like that's definitely what I did after in many hard moments in relationships. Um, and there's nothing wrong with going to the gym. There's nothing wrong with like using movement to process big feelings, but that's not what I was doing. What I was doing is trying to get control of a problem by changing my body mm-hmm. as you've so nicely put it or so accurately put it. Um, but I think now what I really do is I, I am very aware of my internal dialogue and I listen to it. I recognize it. And then I am able to release the thoughts that come up that come from trauma or come from pain or come from shame or come from those shoulds. And the ways I release those, there's a lot of different ways to do that. You know, sometimes it's breath work. Sometimes it's journaling. Sometimes it's, uh, shaking, sometimes going for a walk. Sometimes it's talking to another person about it. Um, there are many different strategies for the release and the clearing. And then, you know, you have to put something else in the place of it. Right. Because in that example, I'm talking about, like, I still had to work through this with my partner, what we were going through. It's just that instead of bypassing that by just trying to get control over my body, I actually just had to go deeper into it with them. And it required a lot more conversation. And I had to recognize I was still really upset, even though I'd been telling them I wasn't upset. And eventually that led to a much like deeper and more radical healing than ever would have come from my like attempt to have a shortcut through control. Yeah. I love that you just said shortcut because it, you know, in our mind, it is that quick fix that we're all sold Mm -hmm. and it's just the band-aid for not wanting to have those tougher conversations or touch those deeper emotions. Um, and I also think that's so primal as well, too, as, as human beings, we don't like to be hurt and, you know, whether we recognize it or not in the moment, our mind is telling us like danger. This is, (laughs) this conversation is painful in some way. And it's much easier to just go to the gym, like you're talking about, um, and find a, a, just, more surface level solution. Um, So many things, so many things here. And I appreciate you bringing this real life experience into the conversation right now, because I think it, it's something that we can all probably relate to in our own ways and find different circumstances and examples that are parallel to yours that you're sharing. And I think that self-awareness piece is, you know, I'll speak for personal experience. That's been one of my most valuable tools in my own journey as well, too. Just paying attention more to those thoughts that can feel really scary sometimes to pay attention to and going a little bit deeper with those uh, the thought patterns and the thinking and, and everything. So that's something we can definitely just let's simmer in this conversation and for everybody who's listening to really just take that tool and start applying it in your life, wherever it feels accessible for you right now. And I think the other support tools that you just shared are amazing too. How, um, how does social media fit into all of this? One of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on is because of your 
mission and your message around social media and how you live your life and how you run your business. Um, but in terms of body image and your relationship with social media from a mental health perspective, can you just kind of turn the page and mm -hmm. start sharing your story around your relationship with, I guess, Instagram, right? Is that the yeah. social media tool? Yeah, definitely Instagram. Um, Yes. So I'll just like do a spoiler up front and say <laughs> that, um, I left Instagram forever in April of 2021. And since then have kind of started a movement of other people leaving Instagram. And now that I've given that spoiler, I will back us back up. So <laughs> to what happened before that. So just do like a quick rewind. I love it. Um, I'll rewind back actually to that day that I broke up with diet culture because I already mentioned, I like took a bunch of selfies and I posted them on Instagram as this like statement of like, I am breaking up with diet culture. This is my body here. I am. And after that, I start, I found taking selfies to be a really great way to be in conversation with myself and with my body specifically and taking selfies kind of gently forced me to look at my body externally like to have a picture of it and look at it. And at first that was really uncomfortable. I really didn't enjoy it. Definitely some like dysmorphia and other things, struggles with recognizing myself, but I just kept showing up to that practice. And I really was able to get to the other side of all of that fear and learn to love myself in the process. And so I kind of joined the like selfies for self-love community or sort of sorts on Instagram. I don't really know if it's a community, but lots of people post selfies for self-love using that hashtag. And I started just sharing more and more. And then over time, I built this little mini curriculum that I called like the selfies for radical self-love practice group. And I hosted these practice groups of people, um, taking, so I would record these voice notes that would have different themes around selfies and photos and body image and feminism and gender. And then we would, I like share the notes in a signal group. And then everyone would take selfies with prompts I shared and we'd share them with each other. And we all had this like beautiful liberatory experiences sharing selfies, um, in that small group. And then sometimes also on Instagram and it was so powerful. I loved sharing selfies and it taught me to love sharing my body on social media. And I shared all of these images of myself, eventually just like in my underwear, hanging out, um, being fat because a big part of my journey too, since leaving diet culture did involve quite a bit of weight gain after I stopped policing my body at every turn, after I stopped controlling and manipulating it, I gained weight. And selfies were the way that I learned to look at that neutrally and eventually to like love and accept my body in all of its forms. And so selfies for radical self-love just became a, a big part of my life. And my, it was like my primary practice on Instagram. That's what I was sharing there. 
Um, and there's actually like a free email court version of that content, like a free mini course you can get from my website. If you want to explore your own selfie practice and cultivate a selfie practice to help you cultivate self-love. Um, that's like the beautiful part of the journey. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I love that. And I think that is whether or not you're posting it on social media, which we can get into in a minute, but I think the, the art of taking a photo of yourself from a very neutral standpoint, neutral to positive, I guess, Mm -hmm. can be so healing in the journey. And especially what you're talking about in terms of bumping up against some of those dysmorphic, uh, those dysmorphic wounds. I think that for anybody on the journey, um, that can, that can come up and it most, most often does. So looking at yourself, uh, from that mindset of really just yourself and your expression and, you know, not evaluating or scrutinizing, but just, you know, neutrally being in that relationship with yourself to that positive relationship on, on that spectrum, I think is so valuable. Yeah. And I would say too, like the first step is just being in like an honest relationship with those images. So like the first task of the mini course, the first thing we did in the practice groups, the first day is always just like set a timer for five to 10 minutes, take selfies for that amount of time. And then like get cozy, get out a journal and go through the selfies for the same amount of time you spent taking them, noticing and writing down what comes up Mm, because I I, love that. Like for many people taking selfies, like looking at pictures of yourself can be so hard and so painful and really challenging and even triggering. And so I think like the beginning, like the baby steps into this practice is just that honesty with like, what does looking at images of myself bring up for me? Um, because what I found over time is that like, as I got in better and better relationship with that image of myself, I was able to, it like translated to my relationship with my own embodiment with my body. Mm. And at this stage, I don't take very many selfies. I really have kind of moved through that period of my practice. At first I needed the externalized image. I needed to be in relationship with the pictures. And then over time I was able to be in really beautiful relationship with my body Mm. itself. Yes. I love that. It's that relearning again. And I think you know, what we were just talking about with food, like learning how to eat again and everything. I think this is, this is so valuable in terms of that foundational first step in building just a, a -hmm. neutral relationship with yourself, because like you're, like you're saying, it's not even really a thing anymore, but it was, it served you to kind of get you to this place right now. Yeah. It was so important. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here without that practice. And I, cause I think it's about if what we've been doing, if what I was doing in like dieting and exercising was about controlling my body, I was trying to always exert power over my body. And I, it's hard to quit doing that. And I really had to learn to like, it's not about having power over my body. It's actually about letting my body lead me And it's a journey to get from that, like one, the power over to like, 
having power over your body to letting your body be powerful. That's yeah. a long, there's a lot of steps in there. And so selfies were a tool that were really beautiful and powerful for me in that and sharing them on social media, honestly, like allowed me to build a community around it. You talked about community earlier. Like I shared the selfies because I wanted other people to engage with me and engage with them. And I wanted both like, like I was searching for community on kind of both, both different places in the journey. Like I wanted people who were ahead of me in their self-love journey to see what I was doing and cheer me on to get to where they were. And I wanted people who weren't maybe as far as I was yet to see what I was doing and feel brave enough to start. And Instagram was such a beautiful place for me for that, for a few years. It really was wonderful. So you already spoiled the exodus (laughs) of Instagram. So I mean, this is so lovely having this amazing chapter with your relationship with yourself and this community that you're building online and all of these things intersecting. When does it start to go awry? Yeah. So, um, I'll say upfront, like my decision to leave Instagram did not necessarily like directly have to do with the selfies and the sharing. Um, I definitely did get a handful of really just like fat phobic comments on my photos, not a ton of them. I was never like trolled or doxxed or like had any real issue, but I can like very clearly remember the few times where people would just say like really shitty fat phobic things in the comments of my photos. And, you know, I like to block and delete and move on that was a small piece of my journey to leaving Instagram, but really I think the short version of what happened is after kind of the success of the selfies courses, I ended up getting a book deal for actually a different project I was doing on Instagram, um, sharing feminist mantras. That was part part of how I did my feminist consciousness raising for myself and read all these things. And I turned them into affirmations and I'd share those every Monday. And so I had another Instagram practice that called feminist mantra Monday. And I shared mantras every Monday. You can still see them on my Instagram account. Um, and that became a book called 50 feminist mantras that was released by Andrews McNeil in October, 2020. It's an illustrated journal. It's wonderful. If you want to like, if you're kind of just beginning your feminist practice, or you want to like deepen or integrate it, it's a great tool for that. But as I started, once I got my book deal, I put a ton of energy, like time and money and my own energy into growing my Instagram following. And I did that. Um, I got up to, I think almost like 2,700 followers. I started at like a thousand and it went up to like 2,700 over the course of the year. So pretty decent pace for organic growth. Um, and I hit the end of 2021 trying to think of like, what are years? No, I hit the end of 2020. And I was just so burnt out on Instagram. I was like, wow, I am putting so much of my time and energy here. I am creating so much content. The algorithm is showing it to so few people. What am I doing? I don't think this is, I I don't know if I want to do this anymore. 
And then right around that time, Instagram also like released a new version of their terms and conditions. That was one of the more like substantial changes they've made of the many they've made over the years. And that just made it very clear that by using Instagram, you are consenting to them tracking your behavior across your phone, tracking the location, like where you are, what you do, what's on your camera, what's in your feed at all times. And that was just incredibly misaligned with my entire mission of helping people like liberate and empower themselves in their communities. I just felt like the increased surveillance of social media platforms and the fact that they're profiting off of us being there. Um, you know, the same way I talked about how, like I saw cracks in diet culture before I could really leave. Like I was just seeing major cracks in social media. Um, and my value system and what I was like preaching or practicing online. Well, I love that. I love that you just brought up that comparison or that parallel rather. So let's run with that because I'm curious from a parallel perspective, seeing the cracks in social media, were you also starting to build a community or kind of research what other communities would look like outside of social media, just kind of doing your due diligence like you did when you were, you know, kind of exiting diet culture or beginning to. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, astrologically in my natal chart, my moon is in Gemini. So I'm just like an information gatherer all of the time. Um, and I think in 2020 or maybe it was late, late 2019, um, Shoshana Zuboff released the book surveillance capitalism, which is like a ginormous book. I have never actually read all of, but I read all the coverage of the book. It's like 900 pages long. I don't have time, but, um, it really laid out all these steps between like now businesses make money off of surveilling you. And you've opted in to that surveillance often without even realizing it. And so, yes, I was reading all of this. Um, and I was just, I don't know if I, I wasn't really researching like other communities or places to be per se. I actually like started just like with similar to how I do with diet culture. I like did some reading around like maybe why this is bad. (laughs) I had this like real internal pull to make a change And then I kind of leaned into my creative practice. So, you know, when I was leaving diet culture, that became selfies. When I was leaving Instagram, that became these like resources that I made. So I made, um, this really great list of all of the tools I was using instead of Facebook, Google, and Amazon in my life. Um, and then I made the most popular piece of content I've ever made, which was a list of 100 ways to share your work and life off social media. So I, that list, um, it's gone all over the internet. It's a part of my leaving social media toolkit. It's currently being like translated into and published in Korean. It's like really traveled far and wide. I think because so many people are realizing that social media, you know, for me, it was like a values problem of like surveillance is not aligned with my values. But what I hear from so many people is it, it is a mental health crisis. It, it induces this sort of compare and despair. I don't even know mentality that like totally. we have to leave for our own well being. Yeah, I totally. I mean, I am navigating this for myself right now, and I, I think that one of the things that is so important, and I really would love your take on this, but our relationship with 
our relationship with our bodies is a relationship. Our relationship with food is mm -hmm. a relationship. And our relationship with social media is a relationship. Like, mm -hmm. really, I am navigating this in terms of, well, how do I want to show up in this relationship? And is this relationship serving me anymore? Because part of being in a relationship with human beings is you can break up, <laughs> whether it's with a friend <laughs> or a partner or just anybody in your life, a, a job that you're not aligned with anymore. And I think that has been the most empowering part mm -hmm. for me to just land with recently in the past six months, even of just deciding yeah. that like, okay, what is my role in this relationship? What is Instagram's role in this relationship? And is this filling me up or dragging me down and, you know, feeling into my personal values and my business values and just, is this mm -hmm. all aligned right now? And so what are your thoughts around that? Just in terms of using yeah. the idea of Instagram as a relationship or social media in general, because I'm sure there will be a lot of people listening to this who are like, well, I don't love it, but I'm not ready to leave it. So how would you, how would you offer tips or advice yeah. or wisdom around that? Yeah. Well, first I just want to affirm that I definitely think about like it in terms of a relationship as well. Um, something I say, or like a story I recount on my podcast off the grid, but I kind of skipped in this telling of how I left social media is that, you know, I think actually the, like, if I was going to have a leaving social media anniversary, well, I do, I left on April 9th, 2021. <laughs> That's the day I actually left. But the day I realized I needed to leave was the day that I sat down and did this like intense journaling and wrote this really long list of all of the new boundaries I was going to have with Instagram. And I was like, I was like, this relationship's not going well. I know what to do when that happens. I have to put boundaries in place. I was like, I've been to therapy. I got this. Um, and yes. so I, I did that. I like made that list and I got to the end of writing, the, writing the list. I got to the end of writing about the boundaries and I had this like light bulb moment where I was like, Oh, Oh I, shit. Basically. I was like, I, the only other times in my life I've needed this many boundaries to stay in a relationship were codependent relationships where I was anxiously attached to people who were not like reciprocally supportive of me. And I had to leave those relationships to take care of myself. And when I realized that's the exact same thing had happened again with Instagram, that's when I finally got like the fortitude to leave. That's when I finally was like, all right, I promised myself I would not continue the patterns of codependent relationships I've been in. So I have to get off this app. And so I definitely think of it that way. Um, the way you're talking about, like as a relationship. And for me, it was one of codependency. And I don't think that's just like, I, I truly believe like I've seen the social dilemma. <laughs> um, the, the, yeah, the movie. It's it's written that way. Like the soft, like these apps are encoded to force us into these relationships with them. It's not just that like we're not strong enough to like resist it. It's like no, like the algorithm is serving us things to try to make us stay on the app. And so, 
you know, and it's not simply like the social dilemma per se, where there's like a human back there being like, oh, she's about to leave, serve her a picture of her ex or whatever. (laughs) I'm not saying that's happening, but I am saying that like it trends toward that. So I just wanted to name like that. That's how it felt for me. Um, and I understand that everyone's at a different place in their relationship with being on social media. So I think that like what it comes down to is I can say for me at first, I got really honest about my values and I, and then I like recognized that this was not aligned with my values. And I stayed for a while. I was like, well, I do other things in my life that aren't aligned with my values. Maybe this is just one of those things. And then when I just like felt that, like I got that aha moment about it being a codependent relationship, I was finally like, oh, I really, like I have to leave. It wasn't an option anymore. But I think that what I can share coming out of that is like the best if I have any advice or tools, it's just to encourage people to, again, be really honest about how Instagram makes you feel. And so if you're not sure about that, you know, do some experiments, like open that again, to take the same way I tool I did with the selfies sort of, or a version of that tool, which is like, open your phone, open the app, set a timer for 10 minutes, scroll, and just make notes about how you feel. Like, is it exciting? Like, when do you laugh? When do you feel weird? When does a picture make you stressed? When does an ad annoy you? When does your best friend's baby laughing, like bring you joy? Like just kind of do a feelings journal about your relationship, like when you're on this app. And also probably when you think about it, even when you're not on it, notice those things as well. Um, And that'll allow you to kind of be honest with yourself. And then I think there's also a layer of like assessing especially for business owners. And this is what I talk about on, on the grid a lot. Like what are your values and are your marketing practices in alignment with those? Mm-hmm. Well, let's pivot to business because you have this amazing resource and honestly have built a business on helping business owners run successful companies without using social media which I mean, I can vouch, I've really dipped my toes into all of your content in the past few weeks. And it's, it is so valuable. So I really encourage everybody to also just check out all of the resources and everything that you offer. But that I think is a legitimate fear that so many business owners have that intuition of around, around, okay, this is not aligned with my life or the business that I want to run, but I don't know, I don't know how to do anything successfully without it. Or I'm scared that my business will go to shit without this. Mm -hmm. And I'll speak, you know, from personal experience, not so much anymore because I've taken a huge step back from social media, not entirely, but a big step back. Um, but it still comes up for me when I do think about making the official decision to stay or leave. So mm-hmm. how would you, how would you offer wisdom around just the fear of having a successful business yeah. with, uh, without social media? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is like, you have to feel the fear, like being, for me, that has been every, everything we've talked about today, like my journey with my body, my journey with diet culture, my journey with my business, my journey with Instagram, like 
the first step has always been feeling the fear. Like you can't bypass it. You have to go through it. And so I think first recognizing that you feel fear, then spending time with it, figuring out what you're afraid of for so many of us, it's failure, but then like, what is, what does that mean? Like, what is the failure? Is it that you won't make as much money as you made last quarter when you were on social media? Is it that you won't get new clients? Is it that your business will entirely fold? Is it that you're going to lose your side hustle and just have to rely on your day job again? Is it that this is your full-time business and you're afraid, like if you lose it, you're going to go broke and bankrupt. Um, I always start by naming the fears. Sorry if, if, if anyone's like, wow, Amelia, you just said everything I've ever thought. And I hate you for it. Sorry. (laughs) If you can't tell there's my internal monologue around fear. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It's like, you know, thanks for letting us into your brain. Yeah. All thoughts I've had all in my fear journal. I mean, I don't have a fear journal, but all in my journal, when I have journaled about fear, maybe you should start a fear journal. Yeah. I love it burn it every so often, like clear it, you know, I wouldn't just hold on to those things forever, but that can be a good practice. Like every new moon, like have a, a fear journal. And then every new moon you like burn it, release it, send it away. But, um, so I think the first thing I would say is just like recognize the fear, sit in the fear, name the fear. And then I like to, I really, I have such a direct, communicator. Like I just start confronting the fears. Like I have conversations with them. I'm like, all right, fear that I'm going to go bankrupt. Are you real? And half the, half of my fears aren't even real possibilities. And then that kind of helps me get to the ones that could happen. And then I start to figure out like, okay, then I have different strategies. If I'm in a really good, if I'm really centered and I can handle it, I will start to feel into what it would feel like if that specific thing happened. If I'm not in a good place, I won't do that. Cause I don't need sometimes, you know, sometimes that'll lead me to spiraling and it's not productive, but sometimes when I can like, let myself hold fear, let my body hold fear and realize that it's okay. I'm like, keep going. Um, so that's, that's my first, that's kind of a long foray into fear, but I think that's like the first thing I would say. And then what I really talk about on the podcast, um, is there are so many ways to set yourself up for success around this. So if you think maybe you want to leave social media, I can promise you the answer is not just like logging off, ghosting everybody and not showing up there. Like that will impact your business negatively (laughs) or if you're not in a business, like your friendships probably like I'm such a Capricorn rising. I'm like, let's make a plan. (laughs) And that's what all the tools and the leaving social media toolkit are for. It's like, okay, if you want to leave, the first thing we need to do is figure out what are your other marketing channels going to be? And how do we start moving your community to those spaces? So when I left Instagram, I did like a six week long push of getting people onto my mailing list, getting their emails. And I captured, I think about like 20 or 30% of my Instagram followers actually joined my list by the time that I, um, had done that. And it took all six of those weeks to get them there. Like it was a whole extended process. So I think like the first step is feeling the fear and being open to what could happen. And then the next step is like 
move through the fear and then get like really creative and imaginative and expand your idea of what marketing could look like and how you could get clients or how you could sell products. And then after you like go through that expansive period, then you kind of contract again and actually make a plan for what you're going to do and how much based on the timing, based on how much energy you have, based on your capacity. Um, and that like that arc is really what off the grid is about. And it is also what a workshop series I'll be teaching this August called the refresh is going to be about. It's literally going to walk you through these steps of clearing the fear, weaving the web of all of the marketing possibilities for your business, and then making a map of what you want to do going forward. So I guess that's kind of a plug. If you want to do that with me, come hang out in the refresh in August. It's going to be a good time. I'll be there. I love it. (laughs) I love it. I I have a a thought that I want to share and I want to grab your perspective on this before we wrap up today as well too. And I also want to hear just your vision for your hopes around social media and whatnot. But I think that going back to the relationship piece of it, there, there are some people, there are many people who will hear this and be like, what? Like, I love social media. I love (laughs) having a business on social media. I couldn't, like, this brings me so much joy. This brings me so much just inspiration. And I, I just eat it up. I love it. And that's awesome. Like, my perspective is great. Like, do, like, be in that relationship. But for many of us also, there is that little nudge of, Hey, something is not working. Like something is not right. Something feels off and just starting to pay attention to that, whether you have a business or you are just on it for social engagement in general, and coming back to the awareness piece that you were already talking about around just the thoughts that are coming up and beginning to pay attention to those thoughts a little bit more regularly can be so helpful because it is important. And one thing that's, that's really kind of stood out to me recently is just kind of chuckling to myself because there are so many people who choose different marketing paths. And when you bring up a certain tool, they're like, wait, what? Like I've never even been on that platform before yet. They're having, they're running a successful business. Like for example, Mm -hmm. I, I never go on TikTok. there. There is one account that I follow and it is the only account because I love her so much. Um, it's the coastal grandmother. I hope to have her on the podcast, (laughs) but it, 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 I don't use it at all. And there are people who are making so much money on that platform, running very successful businesses, having mm-hmm. a blast on it. And I'm just like, I don't even know the first thing <laughs> about it. You know what I mean? Or yeah. LinkedIn or Snapchat or people who aren't on social all together and do just direct, you know, business to business through picking up the phone. Like you have all this in your kit that I really recommend everybody to get, but they're, when you find a way to do business in a way that works for you and brings you joy, that's all you need to know. That's all you need to figure out there. Mm-hmm. There's not like a one, a one right way that everybody needs to follow. And that's something that I'm really trying to lean into for myself. Um, as I navigate my own relationship with social, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what you said earlier about diet culture. Like we're all look at like part of the, um, 
appeal even of diet culture is that we're all looking for that quick fix, right? And diet culture tells us it exists in the form of, you know, dieting. Um, and social media tells us the quick fix exists in the form of social media. <laughs> um, totally. and like, and then, you know, I think also with so much of business going online and like online business becoming its own world, we have so many people kind of stepping into these roles of like teachers, mentors, guides, coaches saying like, I have solved it. Here's my, like do business this way. And you will make money at like, you know, $10,000 a month, hundred thousand dollars a year, a million dollars, whatever. Um, and I think that, you know, the biggest thing that I'm trying to explore on off the grid and encourage people to realize is like someone else's out of the box solution, isn't going to fit you. And we have to empower ourselves to choose what, like figure out what works for us. And sometimes something you really want to work for you doesn't work for you. You know, sometimes it does sometimes something that works really well. One time doesn't work another time. And so one of the tools in the toolkit is a database for creative marketing experiments, because I think the other thing I really think about is like, there's not, you know, I don't just get a market one way and that will always work for my business. Like things change all the time. Um, even if I don't change the platforms change, how they work change. Like I was just listening to a podcast, you know, people who used to run their entire business on Facebook ads saw business plummet when Apple stopped letting apps track people's behavior on their phones. Right. And so now people have had to learn totally different ways of marketing and selling because, the service just stopped, like is less effective when it's not surveilling people without their consent. So, you know, I think that like, that's a very specific example, but business is always changing. And part of running a business is learning to lean into that flow and embrace change, um, while attuning yourself to what works for you and not simply like expecting out of the box solutions from other people to, um, be a quick fix for your, for your business. And, um, that can be so everything we've talked about is just, you know, also reminding me of like this beautiful thing that Audrey Lord says that I don't have the quote off the top of my head, but the, to paraphrase it, it's like, once you feel liberation in one area of your life, you start to demand it in every other area of your life. And for me, I really can see the domino effect of like feeling that liberation from diet culture, like when I, the more I studied and learned about feminism and became involved in feminist organizing, like the lib, as I started to liberate myself and feel liberated communally from patriarchy or from sexism, like that dominated into diet culture, that's dominated into like social media surveillance. It's, it impacts every area of my life. I started my business because I wanted to be liberated from my job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just think that I imagine everyone listening to this podcast who feels or desires that liberation from diet culture. It only empowers you to want more from other areas of your life. And that is beautiful. And it can also be really hard. <laughs> it just leads to this series of like beautiful, I think like creations and destructions that come and my life now, everything about my life is different now than it was in 2018 when I broke up with diet culture, like ev every single thing. Um, but it's beautiful because of it. Mm. 
I love it. There's so much depth when you allow for that liberation and that depth can feel so scary Mm -hmm. at first, but man, I echo so many things that you just said, and I so appreciate you and your truth and everything that you showed up with in this conversation and your vulnerabilities. So thank you so much. I could talk to you for hours more. (laughs) So yeah. a part two because so many other questions I have like when did you get into feminism did you ever go on that road trip like <laughs> so many things so we'll have to have you back but before we do where can everybody connect with you grab these amazing resources get into your world all the things yeah uh thanks so much for having me you can find um my personal website and everything I've done, written, created about selfies at ameliafruby.com. And then you can find all of the resources for leaving social media um, through my podcast off the grid, which you'll find at softersounds.studio slash off the grid or off dash the dash grid. Um, and you can find off the grid podcasts anywhere you listen to podcasts, just search off the grid, leaving social media. Thank you, Amelia. We'll link everything in the show notes to keep it simple, but I appreciate you and I'm so grateful for this conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you'd like more information for coaching with me, plus resources for creating a kick-ass relationship with food, body, and your life, head to CaitlinParsons.com. I'm sending you love, confidence, and courage into your week ahead. 